The following podcast is a production of The Network. Check us out on BICBP-radio.com. of Silence Your Phones, your movie review podcast from the network found at BICBP-radio.com. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Chavez, joined always as, as always, always as, I don't know what I'm talking about. What's up, Sean? Hey, <laughs> I'm here as always, is always, in, within, around, which, become, because, always. As, as is, always. As, as is, as always will be. Sean. Still fighting off that COVID, man. You and that special blood of yours. You, when are you going to start marketing it? Well, I mean, they took down my Instagram ads. They said they can't sell bodily fluids, even if they are, you know, this alleged cure, as they put it. <laughs> I mean, look, we're not saying that your blood cures people, but we're, I mean, we're not saying it doesn't. Yeah, you don't know. <laughs> That's all there's to it. Uh, how you doing, dude? COVID free since 1983. Very nice. It's been a couple of weeks uh, since we recorded. You were you were out for a week. You were on on a mission. You're on a mission to what sounded like remodel someone's home. Uh, and then I was off for a week for my anniversary week. My wife and I took a week off. Uh, but now we're back. So uh, from the future, I'm ready to get into it. I am too. I'm ready to get these zombies off my back. Well, I don't know that we have zombies because uh, it's never mentioned, and we're going to get into that. Uh, that's right. Anyway, this week, Sean is referencing the fact that we are doing creepy movies for the month of October, and the first one we decided to do was 1968's Night of the Living Dead. Welcome to a night of total terror. <laughs> of the living dead, the dead who live on living flesh, the dead whose haunted souls hunt the living, the living whose bodies are the only food for these ungodly creatures. adventure in fear, an experience in shock more shattering than your strangest nightmare, night of the living dead, a night with the dead who cannot die, a night of total terror. of the living dead so you you said that you had never seen this before no never not that I, not for trying i have tried to watch it it's either not accessible i mean it is now it's very accessible but you know in the past pre-streaming and and everything else i think it was on netflix for a time and then it went to Prime and you had to pay for it on Prime, which is hysterical because it's public domain. <laughs> but, you know, I, I've never seen it before I watched it for, for this review. 
this is a film that I remember going like this is in my memory from way back little kid days when I used to watch my creature feature Saturday afternoon films. This was one of the ones that they showed. Um, and I remember just kind of being impacted by it and forever just it's, you know, I just know this. I know this film inside and out. I've read this. I read the book. I've seen this film probably 13 million times. Um, and I've watched it literally three different times from the time we decided we were going to do it till we're discussing it today. <laughs> wow. That's yeah, so three times within probably a month. Yes, exactly. It's um, I don't know, dude, I, I, I'm already giving it up that I do love this film, but I can't wait to talk about it because especially with somebody who I really do like doing that, too. When we start talking about films where one of us has never seen it before, so the other kind of gets this appreciation of kind of hearing the experience from new eyes. You know what I mean? And then it also nowadays, like for me, the way it impacted me as a kid uh, and I still held that kind of love with every viewing um, is totally different from how it would impact somebody in 2020 knowing the horrors we face today. Yeah, I don't know that they could have planned it, but you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things that are creeping up on Netflix about social distancing and you know <laughs> being. It's like, all right, yeah, I, I get it. You know, these things were either filmed in a vacuum, uh, no, not a vacuum. They were filmed in a bubble, or they are, uh, you know, I don't know. They're Everyone was careful, which would be the same thing as filming it in a bubble. Uh, but it's it's just very interesting that a lot of these things are creeping up now because of the current climate. But it's just it's strange that you know this is a little bit more, I guess. To uh, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for is. It's 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 more. Uh, maybe it's more apt to current times or it's strange like times at the very least. Yeah, I mean to a degree. I mean, isn't every movie? But yeah, yeah, yeah. this is like strange times and, you know, weird things are happening. The unexplained is, is happening. Who knows? Yeah. And it does. It speaks to kind of that, that underlying, you know, the thing that's kind of tugging at everyone's psyche, this kind of this, you know, unknown of what's coming and what the future holds. And that's a kind of a scary thing. And it, you're right. Like some movies like this, you know, filmed in 1968, Night of the Living Dead, this film kind of you know, has that feel when, when they were coming out of, you know, World War II, um, you know, looking at, you know, we were going into the 70s now. So we had already come out of the nuclear age, all of this kind of stuff. But there was this kind of unknown of what was coming out uh, and, and what society faced. And that does feel like what we're doing right now. We're kind of at this where everything just seems so bleak that it's 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 it is it's a it's 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 weird. It's weird how it kind of parallels you know, the modern times as, as a po- in contrast to what's happening in, in those days. Uh, but yeah, dude, Night of the Living Dead is a 1968 independent horror film. Think about that, too. This film was an independent film. Uh, George Romero, anyone who's a horror fan or a zombie film fan knows that name, George A. Romero. You know, they they call him basically the godfather of the zombie films, uh, even though he's going to say himself he wasn't. This film himself he tell he says that you know the term zombie is not used um but you know this film was written by a couple of guys that worked for uh, an agency doing commercials um and did you see that they also worked for the station that would he would do uh write things for Mr. Rogers neighborhood yeah i saw that and that was uh kind of uh, the disparity between the two is uh, <laughs> is, is not lost on me yeah uh, but yeah, the dude, the film was it's it's considered an independent horror film because they they wrote it, directed, you know, photography, edited the entire thing all themselves. Uh, they raised one hundred fourteen thousand dollars to to do the movie, which was the budget. Uh, shot on black and white, stark black and white, because they couldn't afford color for the film, um, and it exploded. This movie made eighteen million dollars internationally. Uh, at the time, which was insane to think about, not even just dom- domestically, it was twelve million. So going from a hundred and fourteen thousand dollar budget and then getting a return of twelve million, that kind of says something to where society was at a time, you know, when it came to devouring something like this film. Pun intended. Yeah, it was. I mean, uh, Ian and I watched it this morning and uh, on for free on Tubi, the free streamer. Well, one of the eight hundred of them now. Yeah, but 
you know, I, I just happened to, I was like, oh, you know, I'm curious what this costs because you could tell it wasn't filmed in color and then they made the artistic decision to put it in black and white. They put it in color or excuse me, they put it solely in, in black and white. And so I looked up the budget and I'm like, wow, 114000 in 1968 money, you know, compared. Yeah. To and I was like, hey, what do you think this movie cost them to make? She's like, I don't know, like five grand. I'm like, well, a little more than that. But, you know, five grand uh, inflation wise, I don't know what that comes out to. But it's, you know, it's it's. Uh, well, yeah, I think if they, it was adjusted. I think it was like eight hundred and thirty eight thousand. Budget uh, yeah. for inflation. So that's about almost eight times, 7.5, eight times. So, you know, that's not an unrealistic thing considering horror movies are made on a tighter than a shoestring budget. Yeah, it is. And, you know, horror movies are kind of infamous for that in the film world. You know, a lot of people cut their teeth on horror films uh, as production, as directors, as writers, as actors and actresses, sound, you know, special effects. A lot of people start in horror films um, because there's there's some of the easiest kinds of films to do, the cheapest kinds to do. And if you know how to do it, you can do it effectively and actually, you know, make an impact. Um, you know, we were discussing this before we started recording. We were discussing the Halloween, you know, franchise. Halloween itself was an independent film as well. And look at the impact it had on culture, you know? Well, you know, yes, that, I mean, th- these movies have spawned countless official and unofficial and hot garbage sequels. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Mainly, primarily the un official ones like return of the night of the living dead's children part 74 huh <laughs> what yeah and, and ironically that movie is not rated worse than leonard part six which is <laughs> nice. if you know anything it's regarded as the worst movie ever ever made oof oof no i, I wouldn't bother even checking into that I, I you know a lot of times i'd be like oof I got to see why this is the worst film ever, but that doesn't do anything for me. That doesn't make me want to see it at all. Don't. There's other reasons you should never see it again. Mainly um, Bill Cosby's in it. Oh, good Lord. Good Lord. No, sir. Um, but yeah, dude, and, and he's not ghost dead for, for the kind of film it was at the time. You know, it's it, it did make an impact and it made a lot of money. One of the things I was reading about it was how when it premiered, you know, this was before there was a film rating system. So, uh, when it was shown in theaters as like an afternoon matinee horror film. And this is usually the time when like, you know, teenagers would go to the to the movies and watch like, you know, my, my brother's a teenage werewolf and those types of movies. And this movie comes out and literally shocked the hell out of children. Like they were literally catatonic in their seats. I read a thing on, I think it was on Wikipedia where they were talking about um, how the, the reporter was sitting across the aisle from this little girl who was just sitting there absolutely still in her seat, but crying because she was so terrified about what she was watching. Yeah. I can completely understand that. It's, you know, it's kind of funny that it's, it's black and white, so it's the the you know and the effects to to circle back to that. It, you have to be so imaginative, and the black and white lending itself to any type of liquid that's you know not quite liquid but not quite gelatinous like syrup or whatever. But you know, just seeing that and just kind of having let your imagination maybe draw those two things together of what is this that I'm seeing, mm-hmm. and why is this girl st- at the, at the end? You know, why is the girl shoving? repeatedly i don't think zombies were murderous monsters at least in few in future movies you know but they you know i'm just gonna stab my mother with this yeah it looked like a, a like a pie server not quite a um granted it was 1968 so you know some of the things aren't as technologically evolved they don't have you know angle bent technology for their small little uh, gardening uh mm-hmm. shovels <laughs> you know but it's uh, yeah i can i can see how that would be um, uh, a little jarring to children. Traumatic, right? Like little little ten year old, nine ten year old kids watching this unfold. And you're talking about kids in 1968, so they obviously have more innocence than you know kids from our generations or 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 even younger who have been desensitized to a lot of violence because of you know just what what our culture is like now. Uh, back then, dude, stuff like this they didn't normally see. So my God, that must have just terrified the crap out of them. Um, but let's get into well, what plies of this film so the idea is is um 
there's something happens, right? They're, at the beginning of the film, you see that there's a brother and sister that are driving. Uh, Barbara and Johnny are driving uh, to the cemetery to put their, you know, a, a wreath on their father's grave. And during that time, we get these little glimpses that something's going on with when you hear, if you pay attention to the radio, right? For a while, it's dead air. Then it comes on again saying that they had gone off the air. They were back. Um while they're out there, you see this guy kind of ambling in the, in the cemetery and, uh, you know, Johnny's messing with his sister saying that it's a monster coming to get her. And, and it, 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 it turns out that this thing is, is one of these ghouls, these undead that attacks the brother who ends up cracking his head on a, on a, um, tombstone and dying. Right. Basically the, the film then follows Barbara to a house where she ends up being trapped with um, a, a, a small cast of other, you know, survivors, at the, uh, for lack of a better term. We say survivors now because we kind of know the formula, but in terms of what was happening in the film at that time, you just don't know what's happening. It's just these people, you know, they think that the world's going crazy because everybody's just going around murdering everybody. It isn't until later on that the news talks about that these things are, are people who have died and they're coming back to life. So they're literally ghouls who are murdering right and it just you know it follows the rest of the evening they're they're you know their fight for survival and you know one by one unfortunately the characters do end up dying off uh spoiler alert i mean the movie's a how old dude um 52 years just a few years a few years uh well, but yeah dude this this five, movie two. is is what would later on be the quintessential kind of formula for zombie films there's an outbreak um, you know, we we are introduced to a cast of characters that we try to root for, who usually end up holding up in a place and trying to survive a night, a week, however long they're trying to survive, while fighting off the the zombies. Um, and then there's always that kind of interaction between the characters and the power grabs that are happening during this time as well. Um, but in this film, dude, there was some things that I was realizing, uh, and I was wondering what you thought of this. So. The first thing you think about when you think of zombie films and even with Night of the Living Dead is unless you go back and watch it again, it's like that this was one of those films that solidified the idea that zombies are these undead kind of shuffling, ambling, you know, creatures that are you could easily outrun. Yeah, this one was and I even made that made mention of that, like, you know, this uh, when I watched it with ease, you know, these are not your normal looking the, the makeup is not really because they're, I guess, they're considered fresh, you know, freshly dead or freshly reanimated. But, you know, I, I saw some people back there looking like Paul Bearer with the rings around the eyes. Yeah. Uh, saw some people with, you know, you, you think most people that are recently buried are in, you know, Sunday best, which was the case. I mean, Frankenstein, when he was lumbering around at the beginning, he had his, you know, the, the stereotypical sleeve ripped at yeah. the um at the shoulder um but then there were some people wandering around in their britches some yeah. in, in robes like all right that i mean i guess could sure. have been could have been somebody that maybe had dropped dead earlier or you know of a heart attack in the bathroom or something i mean that that's always possible they really didn't explore it but you know the movie didn't you know if you think about the time when this movie was was um when, when it was put out and what else was in the, the zeitgeist at the time, there really wasn't anything. So there was no explanation. So they could just make the rules up as they went. Yeah. And since then, you know, up until 28 days later, uh, you know, zombies had kind of fallen into this. The, they're just lumbering. They're, you know, their brains are single, singularly focused on, you know, pr- uh, propagating their species, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And, and they would just walk and lumber. And then 28 days later, they became, you know, Olympians where they could sprint. <laughs> yeah. But in this one, you know, we see at the very beginning with this this ghoul in the graveyard that he he he, not, he doesn't sprint. Right. But he's definitely not lumbering the guy. He's got some speed behind him. And now he's not just speed. Also, he also has the the wherewithal to grab a rock to try to smash uh-huh. the window of Barbara's car. So there's a little bit more intelligence in these creatures than what would typically become, you know, zombies. And so it's always, I, I always think it's funny how everybody looks to this film and says, this is where everybody got the idea for zombies from, because there's a lot that doesn't really mesh with what we see as zombies in, in the follow-up films. Yeah. And I think, you know, with, with 
the traditional what's thought of as a, a traditional zombie is that you know like i said they're lumbering they're slow they're they have un incredible amounts of strength regardless of how big or small they are but you know like you said this guy just picks up a rock and no I can rock break window you know yeah. he becomes a caveman more or less but <laughs> you know but it, like i didn't know if zombies were as vindictive as they as they are in this movie but mm-hmm. i guess you know everything settled out until the zombie genre became kind of rote at, at some point and then 28 like i said 28 days later kind of change the rules a little bit you know there yeah. was like this agreed upon rule book that but i, I think though the point i was i was going to make I, I forgot and i just remembered it uh was that you know uh, what's what's more terrifying like a, a zombie that will lumber after you and never quit or somebody that'll that you can you know that is you know more intelligent but might not be as physically adept and is scared of fire yeah, that was the other thing, the, the scared of fire thing. You know, it was kind of borrowing from the idea of Frankenstein's monster because that was the thing about this creature was that, you know, he was terrified of fire. And I don't think that they really use that much later on in zombie. I don't remember that being a thing that zombies are afraid of fire. No, and they're not afraid of guns, which can ultimately kill them. Uh, I mean, if you're Ben, you can't kill zombies with a gun, but that's another <laughs> section of this of this episode i'm sure do you know i would yeah we'll definitely get into the characters uh but but to speak to that you got to think also it it could be that this is a guy who's never shot a gun in his life and it's a little bit more realistic that he's kind of stuck out here in the middle of nowhere you know put into a situation where he's got to try to survive and now he's got this weapon he's never used before and you're like dude come on just hit him in the head right and and every time no matter what it's like chest shot shoulder shot yeah, he's not really good at at guns. <laughs> um, but yeah, this this film is there's there's nothing. It's it's not it's there's no complication. Okay, you've got a straightforward from the beginning. We see that things are going down, and it goes from you know stuff has already happened to things start to get worse. Things get even worse, and this is one of these films that is not a happy ending film either. There's no, like there's no typically when you, when you see survivor or hobby, uh, hobby zombie, films, huh? you have survivors. Um, you have these cat, these characters that you're, you're cheering for. And this doesn't have survivors in terms of any of the main cast that we're watching. Try to survive this night. What if it had a soundtrack done by survivor? <laughs> That would be amazing. But you see what I'm saying? Like this is again in terms of a plot, you know, straightforward, but it doesn't it doesn't again go with what is the typical uh, you know, recipe for a zombie film. We don't we don't have any of our, the people we were cheering for or hoping to survive survive. Yeah, and the people that you don't want to survive or shouldn't. Obviously certain people get their comeuppance, but not everybody is you know, not everybody, uh, you know, obviously they last longer than a lot of people, yeah. but you know, in the end it, it doesn't even matter. Is, is that apt right now? <laughs> I'm just going to start using all kinds of clips from music every time we reference them, <laughs> just drop them in. Um, yeah, dude, let's get it. Let's get into the acting then. Let's get into this cast and how they, how they did in their acting. Uh, the main character is played, Ben is played by Dwayne Jones. Uh, and I say he's the main character because he, he takes on the leading man in the story. So the two main characters for me are Barbara, uh, played by Judith O'Day and Ben, uh, played by Dwayne Jones. Um, back then, you know, it was kind of a taboo thing to have an African American as a leading man in a film, especially when the rest of the film was primarily Caucasian. Um, but if you read in interviews with Romero, he just basically was like, this wasn't about white or black or trying to make a statement. It was just about the dude was one of the best actors we had, you know, uh, going for one of the roles. Yeah, and I think he brought a lot to that role. I mean, he was a leading man and he basically told you if he was upstairs, if you were upstairs, he was in charge. So, yeah. But uh, yeah, he, I mean, he was just in reading about it. 
the the role of Ben was not geared towards any one particular person or type of you know race of person, uh, but it was geared towards someone who was a little bit um, uh, very much a blue co- was it blue collar yeah the, the truck driver uh, with a less less of an education than uh, than than Dwayne Jones had and he's being a uh, I guess a retired college professor mm-hmm. um, he's like no no that's not going to work for me buddy. And uh, I, I think he did a pretty good job with this. However, man, Barbo just got on my nerves <laughs> a lot. <laughs> that um, was the point. So that, yeah, at the beginning, you feel kind of bad for her because of what's happening with her brother. She's only, she's literally in a catatonic state for part of the film. Uh, but then, yeah, there are times where she's just like a little much. And there's a moment there where I, when when it goes down, when, he, when she slaps Ben and he literally no. decks her. He doesn't slap her back. He literally decks her. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that would not go over well today. No, and um, I don't think she slapped him. I think she tried to karate chop him, and <laughs> that didn't work. But again, watching this with E today, and she is uh, not, well, we, not just she, but uh, we both are of the idea that, you know, you don't really hit people, mm-hmm. but, but especially a man hitting a woman. Uh, but she's like, thank God, that woman was exhausting. <laughs> He's like, um, that's not quite on brand for you. She's like, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, she was kind of getting on my nerves. So there. Yeah. So when okay. she meets, when she meets her end, you're just kind of like, finally, God, no, she wasn't even, she wasn't even paying attention when Barbara got it. <laughs> she was um, making the grocery list at that point. Let's see. There's also Carl Hardman who plays Harry Cooper, the one, the guy with his wife and the daughter from from the cellar. Uh, Carl Hardman was actually one of the producers on the film. Um, and they, on the thing on one of the things here on Wikipedia says also that Hardman also provided the voice of the newscaster heard on the radio in Johnny's car at the very beginning. So when they're coming back, remember I told you that dead silence, and then all of a sudden the, you know the radio comes back. Uh, that's also uh, Carl Hardman. Yeah, I thought he was. I mean, he was good as a, a guy that you really didn't want to like mm-hmm. and for some strange reason he reminds me a little bit of um uh two two char- uh, character actors one is dean stockwell uh he was in uh, he was in quantum leap he was the guy that had the little the little boop 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 thing that would come and go through that big white oh doorway. yeah 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 okay um and i can't remember this guy's name but he's in a lot of adam sandler movies but if you've seen No Holds Barred, he's the guy that plays the executive of the other uh, of the other um, company that wants to get uh, Rip, whatever the hell his name is, Hulk Hogan. Uh, he's in every Adam Sandler movie too. Um, and I'm trying to think of what his name is. As I do this, I'm trying to type in anything Adam Sandler related into the search bar of IMDb. <laughs> But I ended up typing IMDb into the search bar of IMDb. That's amazing. Which makes no sense. Yes. I've done that before at Google. I've been on Google and then typed into the search bar <laughs> Google and then like, oh, crap, what am I doing? What are you doing with your life? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Hardman is a, is a producer while you're looking up that. that And the other, the third producer on the film that was putting this movie together with Romero was Russell Striner, who plays Johnny, uh, Barbara's brother. Um, and this one of the things I loved about Johnny's character is he's he's in it for less than five, ten minutes. I mean, he's he's you know, he's at the beginning. He's kind of pivotal in terms of setting the stage for for Barbara's kind of being afraid easily. So so something like this could could put her in a catatonic state. Um and then he, you know, he shows up again later in the film as a as a as a zombie or as a ghoul. Uh, but he's also got one of the most iconic lines that "I'm coming to get you, Barbara" line, especially mm-hmm. said in the way he says it, is so iconic in the world of horror. Uh, anytime you you you'll see it used in different horror movies, a lot of times people will reference it. Um, but I, I definitely I say it all the time, and it's it's one of those things that sucks because it starts to become a generational thing. I was at work the other day and I said it to somebody, um, this girl I work with and she's 24, 25. And I said, like, I'm coming to get you, Barbara. You know what that's from? And she's like, no. I'm like, what? How do you not know what that's from? Have have you ever said to somebody, well, we're waiting. That that or they're here. Like you start Mm -hmm. saying all these things that should be iconic and just live in everyone's kind of, you know, uh, they should be aware of it, but then you start to realize, man, this stuff starts to die out when it's not, 
you know, I don't know. When, when, it, when it leaves the lexicon, yeah. you know, when the movie is no longer in vogue, what you should do in that situation, Chris, is if you say, you know, we're coming to get you, Barbara, uh, and they're like, I don't, what, I, what are you talking about? What you say to them is, that's in the mo- newest Pixar movie. <laughs> and then, and then just see how, or or pick a movie that is just far enough up out of a, you know, like two two steps off the beaten path for that person, and and then see how long or if it takes for it to get back to you. That's funny, dude. Good lord. Um, but um, yeah, I oh, found out. Oh. Who, hey, pause. Uh, I found out uh, through the magic of the internet. Uh, the guy I'm thinking of is Kurt Fuller. He looks kind of like Kurt Fuller. He is uh, a balding guy. He's in everything under the sun, including almost every Adam Sandler movie. Um, that's the guy who I was thinking of five minutes ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, now I see him. Yeah, he does kind of look like that. This Carl Hardman. Uh, but Carl Hardman, this this character of he he plays this this um, this Harry Cooper in that. So it's almost like in this these films, there's always going to be that guy, that guy that's just like somewhat jealous of the leader somewhat kind of like i have an idea too you guys should listen to me you know what i mean and he pl- definitely plays this guy to a t um and his wife for, kind of this, well this annoyance yeah it didn't work out too well for him no not at all um then there was the then there was this two other couple that was there right they had gotten there trying to to um to get away from these ghouls tom and judy um played by judy. keith wayne and judith ridley respectively Okay, I mean, I think they were pretty good characters in terms of you're always going to have the characters that are just the supporting characters. They're there to help out. Tom was one of these guys that, you know, Ben said, do this. He's like, I'm there. I'll do it for you. I'll, let's, you know, he and Judy decide they're going to try and, and make a run for it to get some medicine or get some help for the little girl that's downstairs sick. Um, you know, they end up meeting their fate. Uh, but I, overall, I I got to say everybody in the film, I don't think there was anybody. And I, and I know Barbara kind of annoyed you, but I think that was that kind of speaks to, you know, how good she was in acting that that character. Uh, overall, I feel like everyone in this film did a great job in acting. Yeah, and yeah, I, I would agree that they all hit their marks and what they were, how they were supposed to be, you know, showing uh, or portraying their character, being who they were going to be. I mean, the the chief was, you know, with his with his gun gang was just like, all right, well, let's just go shoot a bunch of people. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know that that just kind of malicious style <laughs> yep just gather them up and then just start shooting ask questions later um don't ask questions i like there was a don't scene there was questions. a scene earlier between ben and barbara where ben was saying how he got there remember he was saying he went to get whatever and gas and uh and barbara was just kind of listening to him and then when she finally starts to talk and starts saying what happened to her and his brother her brother Ben just seemed like he didn't care. He was just kind of like, okay, I w- this wasn't about sharing time. I was just telling you what's up. And then he wanted to go up and start like getting stuff together. And she keeps telling the story. He's like, all right, do you want to give me a hand here? That's just kind of, to me, uh, it's, she- it's almost like a realistic, like people are like that sometimes. You're not going to have where everybody sits around and everybody gets the chance to tell their story. And then the story moves on, you know? Yeah. I mean, yes. And, and also there were some other things in, in their initial in meeting that was, kind of strange too like they were trying to play off of certain stereotypes or tropes like ben was like hey i'm just gonna come out here and grab you and drag you into the house and which plays into the fear of the movie and mm-hmm. but he, he didn't strike me as very um uh his, his bedside manner was not that great mm-hmm. um and part of it could have been the time you know in, in that time in in america society was a little different than it is now yeah I also feel like what what worked well with the way all of these people acted, it's also kind of a combination with the way the film was filmed. Uh, we may comment earlier in terms of it being filmed in black and white um, because of budget, but that still, it kind of lent to, uh, it felt like newsreel, right? It felt like we were watching a documentary newsreel with the way the lighting is too, because there's a very stark lighting uh, with a lot of the film, which it just makes it feel more... I don't know, raw, more like there's a, um, 
I don't, I, like a, 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 a realness to it. And so the way they were all acting, which wasn't overacting, you know, because sometimes you watch films from the 60s and, and, and they obviously have it's a different style of acting. This didn't feel that way. This felt kind of natural, like we were watching something that really played out at some point in the past. Yeah. And, and, you know, quite honestly, when we were watching it, I did notice that there was, oh, you know, I, I remember seeing that in Shaun of the Dead or yeah. this is was this was pulled from here or the guy who the scientist that they had on the, the newsreels at the end on the TV, his he was Dr. Grimes. I'm like, hmm, I wonder if that's where Kirkman got Grimes for his lead character, for his main character, Rick Grimes oh. in The Walking Dead. Like I saw a lot of a lot of the people's a lot of current works with the current being the last 10, 15, 20 years. And, and if they, if, and how they were influenced by this film, different shots, different characters, different, you know, things that were homages to here, there. And, you know, I could see a lot of spider webs coming from this movie in that these people were influenced and wanted to put a stamp on it to a degree of their own, but also not, you know, but also in part stealing. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things that it became such a, it was man it, it it for the return it made you know the amount of money you could tell it struck a chord it it became immediately like this visceral kind of part of our culture now no matter what you know it would always impact anything that came after so everybody's going to pull things and reference it because of just that you know what it means to the genre or even culture and society as a whole um but yeah overall for me i think the acting in this film they were they were pretty spot on Agreed. Uh, let's get into the score, the music. So there, there isn't much mute. Like there's no commercial music on this film. It's, it's all you know. It's all ambient, and it's a score. Um, and I was saying when I was watching it, you know, Aaron was taking a bath, and I, I just mentioned to her, and I said, because she could hear it, you know, in the background. So I said, you know, it's rare that a lot of horror films use this type of orchestral music if you go back and listen to it it's got there's all these moments of kind of um you know sometimes it's kind of chaotic sometimes it's 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 building to a crescendo but it's it's very much orchestral uh and then it cuts out to because when that's happening you don't typically hear sound effects it's almost like you're listening to that that music while you're watching the scenes play out um, I'm thinking of the scene like when she's first running from the zombie after the attack in the cemetery. Like you can't hear her footsteps and running. You don't hear any like heavy breathing or anything. It's all music. And then when the, it's time to come back to the story, the music dies out completely to just what's happening in the room and the audio from the actors and actresses. Yeah, I, I think that's a very common thing. Uh, it, there are there's a certain argument for you know, music, no music. Uh, if you've ever seen the movie uh, Devil, I believe it is, where it takes place in the elevator, the Shyamalan oh, yeah. uh, produced, directed, one of those two, but he didn't write it. They didn't put music in like the first half of the movie and you're just like, what's around the corner? Because it, it becomes very standard and wrote of if, if, you know, if the music starts up, Jason's right around the corner or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, the, I, I really like when they have the ominous music, it, it really drowns out what's happening because you can kind of almost get into the character's head of, you know, it, there's so much going on that the character can't even hear it. Or there's so much in their head that it drowns everything out that's happening around them sound wise. Right. It's almost like the, that rising orchestral music. That's it, it's, it's, it's a feeling, right? It's, 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 it's a sound version of what that rising terror is within them. Yeah. Yeah. It's a swell, it crescendos and that's when everything is at their peak. They're the most scared, the most whatever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, for me, I feel like this was the sound on this film was great. You know, I, I paid attention to it. This that's the thing about watching it this time around. Like I've watched it millions of times, but this time around, I was watching it more with a critiquing eye, like listening for the soundtrack. How did it affect the film? How did it, you know, complement scenes and and did it work here and there? When did when did they turn it off? When was it used? And for me, you know, and again, think about this again: an independent film. And not that these guys were amateurs. They knew what they were doing. They had worked on commercials. They had worked on bits for, you know, Mr. Rogers. These guys knew what they were doing. But 
for never having done a horror film before and putting this all together by themselves uh just it's i just thought it was it's it's perfect man it's it to me is is a great great kind of use for score in one of these kinds of films and i think that speaks to the creativity of of those that work in this genre almost exclusively because you have to be really creative and really cheap at the same time to get the effect that you want. Yeah, exactly. Or the emotion. Um, all right, let's move on to special effects. So this is a 1968 film. All right, we're not talking any kind of CG. Everything we're going to see here is is practical. Uh, but now, not only is it practical, they have to. We have to remember that because of the budget and and they only had black and white. Now that had to come into play when it came to special effects. They had to make sure the special effects they used and the things they were going to do would translate well to black and white. You know what I mean? If this is something where there was blood and gore, you're not going to be able to see the red of blood. You're going to have to be able to, you have to be able to show it a certain way. Um, yeah. Black and white though does lend itself to different shades of gray, mm-hmm. maybe more modern film than, than historical film. But you know, you can all, you know, if you're watching a movie of this caliber uh, or excuse me, of this, uh, of this subject matter, you can kind of almost sort of see red or different different shades of red mm-hmm. in you know in in more modern black and white movies like in um clerks for example it's black and white so you can kind of see the different shades of different things in the convenience store it's not just everything is either black or white that's not the way that works as much yeah but i think they did a good job of of you know kind of catering to that to a degree part of it was because it was filmed at night and uh, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, um, they have to take into account it's going to be black and white, and then it's also a super low budget film. But for me, you know, watching it was, I thought it's great. Still, I think it still holds up even to this day with the way it looks. There's times when they're ripping, like they, I said, they, you know, the entrails. It looks, it looks amazing. Practical effects for me mm-hmm. is always going to be uh, a little bit more of a uh, a realistic kind of thing. You know what I mean? I can't. I, Sure, sure, you know, special effects using computers is, is great, but man, when you can really pull it off practically, then it just it's it's it, there's substance there. There's it's actual interaction and I, I, I it's always gonna you know trump computer effects for me. So watching this again, I just thought this looked great. Yes, you know, there are parts where the zombies, the decaying flesh looks kind of hokey. That I would have to point out, but other than that, like there's a scene where the woman, you know, one of these ghouls pulls a bug off of the tree and go, starts to eat it. And it just made me kind of wince like, oh, this, that's disgusting. No, yes, but it's also like, oh, there's a living thing. You don't think about, you know, z- you know what we consider zombies eating uh, anything but other people. But the bug was alive. So why not? Yeah. And that actor was also played by uh, the woman that played Helen Cooper. Yep. They, people do pe- people play double duty in this movie. Oh, yeah. A few at of least, them did, yeah. At least double duty. Um, what else they have for special effects? They had um, fire. They used fire a lot. Explosion with the car, uh, setting the body on fire. Um, oh, there was the half-eaten face at the top of the stairs in, in the farmhouse that they all you know went into. So that, that looked awesome. Mm, that looked great. I was uh, I was on board with that one. That was great. Uh, anything else I missed in terms of special effects that that caught your eye? No, I mean there really wasn't anything that was uh, quote an effect that wasn't you know a disembe- dismembered body or a disemboweled this or that you know blood. Uh, I'm the the shooting of it was uh, the shooting the filming was actually pretty uh, I would say semi revolutionary in that. Uh, maybe not revolutionary, but but engaging. You know, they couldn't show people getting shot. They couldn't, you know, at, at the end when Ben pulls the lever back and then he pulls the trigger, you know, it shows his face. He pulled and a wide shot of him pulling the trigger back and his facial expression, but then it zooms in on his hand as he pulls the trigger. And then you cut to the end result, which was, spoiler alert, it was uh, Carl laying on the basement floor with a bullet in his head. And 
I just thought that that was engaging and it was also, uh, it also played to the limited, limiting the violence of the time, but also you don't want to really shoot somebody with a blank and a shotgun because, you know, that has happened and then there have been adverse effects even 20, 30 years in the future. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, I think it was, it was very well done. It was safe but it was also engaging in the way that they shot a lot of those scenes too. Speaking of shooting, even though the other spot, you know, spots where they would take body shots and just the, 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 whatever you call those little explosive packs that blow out, you know, to, to show the, the bullet exiting the body. Um, those look great too. I thought they, you know, for 1968, uh, it's, I can't, I can't speak more highly enough about how I think this movie did so well and in, in everything that they did with it. I mean, again, like there are little things you could point out and say, uh, you know, this this makeup effect here could look nicer. But overall, man, with what they had, good Lord, this is just it's so good. Yeah, the continuity. I don't think a continuity director exists on a horror film. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, there was uh, there's a few scenes that I was just like, oh, come on. I, at the very beginning when she's in, you know, kind of looking throughout the house. Um, she's carrying a knife with her, Barbara, when she first gets to the house and there's scenes where she's like literally has nothing in her hands. It cuts to her looking at something, whatever she's looking at back to the same scene where she's standing. Now she's got a knife in her hand. It's happened like three or four times where the knife just kind of appeared and reappeared in her hands. Yeah. I mean, Barbara was kind of there. That's really her, her brain wasn't, but she was, Yeah, is really what comes down to for her. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Um, so overall, man, did you have any, was there anything in this film that kind of stood out to you in terms of a memorable moment or quotes? Well, I mean, the, you know, the, they're coming to get you, Barbara is, I think the most iconic thing in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, I mean, the zombies never screamed for brains. I don't believe. Um, no, I mean, that's really the most, uh, you know, not seeing this movie, but having heard that before, I think that's the most common iconic uh quote you know um i don't i don't i can't think of anything yeah anything else i think overall you know the memorable things for me in this film are just the scenes of 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 the ghouls right like those kind of the shots when you're looking out and it's pitch black but they're so lit up by this kind of side lighting that's you know almost whitewashed uh it's very the contrast is so ingraining um and then so there's so many moments like that uh, you know, the moment when Barbara finally gets it, you know, you could see Ben is desperately trying to grab at her and pull her back in uh, and he just can't, he's got, and she can't, you know, she can't fight him off either. So there's this kind of, you know, this, this feeling of helplessness, like this is, this is overwhelming. If, if you really just kind of put yourself in the moment and look past, you know, the kind of film it is, um, that and obviously for me the end was always something that stood out to me because it just it was like holy crap you know like it didn't matter how hard they fought it didn't matter what he did or what they did to to survive it just wasn't you know in the cards and that that will always stick with me too is how that film ends yeah i mean the ending of the film is is something to be had it's uh like you said not a not a memorable movie, or, or excuse me, a memorable movie, not a uh, not a happy ending of a movie. Yeah, yes, yeah, so it's not going to be one of those everybody lives happily ever after. Um, let's move on to our rating, dude. So I said we were going to do, we're doing ghouls, right? We're rating this on out of five ghouls. Is it my turn? Yep. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I was reading quotes on IMDb. Oh. <laughs> um, n- none stick out as much, except I, I did like this one that Ben had. It was a... Uh, uh, you get the hell down in the cellar. I'm the boss up here. You could be the boss down there. <laughs> you start telling them, I'm going to start that saying up. that at work, dude. I'm going to start saying that to people at work that just give me hassle. Just say it to Anthony. Just tell them to get down in the cellar. <laughs> no, just, uh, you could be the boss on the outside of the door. I'll be the boss on the inside of the door. Oh, God. Um, yeah, so what are, your, what are your thoughts, dude? What's your final, your final thoughts and rating on the film? So every uh, so for this film again, first time watching it, and, and you know I do watch it very analytically, but I also do try to take in the the scene, the uh, you know the actors and 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 everything that happens, um, things you're not supposed to do upon first viewing or upon your first fifteen viewings in a Marvel movie. Um, the the casting I think was really well done. The each character invoked a specific, uh, assumptively an intended response. And, you know, the dynamic was very tense 
with with all the characters so that definitely added to the horror element to the uh, what's going to happen um the the sound i think you know albeit limited was still you know the 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 limited sound was sounding soundtrack that's the word uh was still uh still helped with the evoke those proper uh, emotional responses around the events that were happening um no effects uh from cg but but uh you know uh, the lighting uh coupled with the the syrup that was used for the blood uh the the various items that were used for uh for um you know in, innards uh, uh, internal body parts um, and, and the overall story, I think all that blended very well together. Um, the only thing that really took you out of it, because this is a movie set in 19, uh, assume, assuming it's set in 1968, uh, you know, there, uh, I had to laugh when, when Johnny put his, uh, his gloves on and he buttoned them because Velcro hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it was uh, two or three years before that or after that when NASA, you know, had actually invented it by accident, by the way because of a bug. Um, but you know, overall, I think the movie, yes, I can see where there are a lot of influences taken from this movie, uh, be it film, uh, sound, be it a whole zombie type genre. Um, it, it did start off a little slow. Um, but at that point, you know, but once everything happened, started to happen, you know, there was action that happened maybe not immediately or, or every second, like uncut gems. Um, yeah. Ugh. But you know, it was, uh, you know, it was fairly even, uh, the parts that did take me out of it was when there was an argument that was happening. It's like nothing outside was happening. Um, or that the zombies would, uh, as they were outside, they would just kind of stand by the car and just kind of do that. Kevin James dance from hitch <laughs> where he goes from left to right. Like they were waiting for their cue and, so, uh, I mean, the, some things are, are more believable than others. The alive dynamic is very believable. Um, and uh, the, the marital dynamic between Carl uh, or between Henry and <laughs> Helen Cooper is very believable. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but, you know, overall, I think, I think it's a very solid movie, a very solid story, and, and everything else was, was very solid. Uh, and this may be a... I may get some flack for this, but I think I'm going to go with four out of five on this one. Four out of five goals. Nice. Who's giving you flack for that? I don't know. I thought maybe you. I don't know. No, that's a, that's a get, good get rating, my especially back. for somebody, again, it's your first time really delving into it. You've been you know, privy to what's come after. So like you said, you, you, you recognize a lot of things in it. Um, it's kind of a cool thing to go back and look at the original and see what spawned it. For me, that's one of the things, right? I I was a kid when I first saw this and mesmerized, absolutely loved it. it. It's it to me has always been that quintessential zombie film. Are there better zombie films by far? Um, you know, better produced, better written, better obviously. But this, there's something about this. There's a charm about how this came about you know just the rawness behind it the innocence in in the filming of this in terms of you know they had no clue what they were doing and that or when i say what they were doing i mean not that what they were doing in, in the moment but they had no clue that this was something that was going to create an entire genre sub subgenre of horror moving forward that it would have such an impact um and ingrain itself in society and pop culture that you know it's it's to me that's just it speaks volumes of the kind of film it is and when you can go back to it uh, whether it's with new eyes like you saw it or you know with with rose colored glasses or just kind of returning with knowing what you're getting um again that speaks volumes as well when you can return and still get the same enjoyment and still really look at it and go this is great you know i've gone back and seen films that i used to love and just watch it now and i can pick it apart and i i think to myself why am i so critical now um and even though i can find moments in this film to be critical about it's not enough to overwhelm you know my appreciation for it uh, or my thoughts on basically you know how great the film is i really think this is probably one of the better films of the era easily um uh, but overall in terms of horror like this is something that all any horror fan uh has to see 
you know, and sure, you're going to have people who are like, you know, you guys are out of your mind. This thing is dated. It's not good. It's 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 hard to watch. It's slow. The acting is is different than what we're used to. There's not enough jump scares. Sure, sure. But, you know, it's for what it is and and everything it represents and everything about it. The act, like you said, the acting is on point. Everybody just they make it so believable that these are the, the, the exact kinds of characters from that time they, they don't feel like there's anyone on here that's you know you know how sometimes you watch horror films and there's one or two you know people in this little ensemble cast that it seems like they picked them off the street who had never acted before so their acting is 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 you know it's glaringly horrible this doesn't have oh, yeah. that this isn't that kind of film it feels like every person in this film was a natural kind of you know Again, it didn't feel like a character. Like I was saying earlier, it's almost like we were it was a documentary and we watched this entire kind of thing unfold and everyone in this film, the way they acted, the way they spoke, you know, the the intention um was genuine. It was so it was very believable. Um again, speaking to the way it's filmed, it's that that kind of gritty in your face. You know, there's a lot of shots that that aren't typical shots of a of a film, you know, of 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 you know, Hollywood films, this was very much an indie kind of film, you know, handheld in a lot of spots, a lot of different, the choices of angles uh, is used, you know, specifically in films like this to, to kind of add to the sense of, of urgency or add to the sense of, of dis, you know, disorientation or, or heightened anxiety. Um, and they used it, they did it well, they did it very well. Um, the score, we like, like I said, everything about this film I think is just top notch. So for me, I, it's easily to me one of the best up there, and I'm putting this at an easy five ghouls out of five. That high, huh? Yes, sir. For me, Night of the Living Dead is always going to be one of those tops. You know, these are the ones that you want to strive to kind of do. And sure, like I said, there when it comes to zombie films, I could easily name three or four films that by far could are great films, you know, but there's, they wouldn't exist right now without this film. They just wouldn't. And this film set the tone and set the pace and set the bar high at the beginning. Um, but will always have that kind of, you know, people who understand it, there's a reverence, uh, to where this film is held. And for me, it's always going to be held there. So I can't argue with that. So that said, uh, we have Night of the Living Dead being added to the Silence Your Phones DVD shelf. Uh, next week, we're going to roll on with another creepy film. Um, again, this is one, Sean, you've not seen. I have. Uh, I've only seen it a few times, um, maybe three or four times. So going back to it, it's going to be kind of fun and to see you know how I feel about it. But we're going to be watching Halloween 3. Season of the Witch. It's almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the horathon and remember the big giveaway at nine. Don't miss it. And don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time. Happy Happy Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Happy Happy Halloween. I'm really excited to see what you think about it because you said you haven't seen any of the Halloween films, but obviously you know the Halloween story. You know, you know, Michael Myers, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, you know the whole gimmick there. Um but this film, like I told you before, was not a part of that that storyline. So it'll be fun to kind of watch this movie, and you're not going to have that 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 informed kind of sense of like this is not right. This doesn't belong in the Halloween you know genre, uh, uh, the Halloween series. You're gonna actually get to see it as Carpenter intended it to be a standalone kind of you know uh, Halloween themed film. Yeah, uh, a John Carpenter movie. Came out just before, uh, what was that movie? That bad one? They Live. That's it. <laughs> that classic. That classic. So yeah, yeah next week we're doing crap Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. Um, I'm done. Other than that, I am completely tapped out. I'm about to go lay myself back into my grave 
and uh, wait for the next full moon. Does that work? I don't know. You got anything else to say before we're out of here? You're going to wait for Vincent Price to call you once more? There you go. From your grave? There you go. While Michael Jackson dances in the distance. Dances on your grave. Sweet, sweet. All right, folks, thanks so much for listening. Once again, make sure you head over to BICBP-radio.com. Check out all the podcasts on the network. Make sure to support. Leave them reviews on iTunes. Uh, follow them. Follow their Facebook pages. Follow ours. Uh, I got nothing else. I'm ready to go. So if you've got nothing else, Sean, I think it's time for the folks at home to unsilence their phones.